From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Glaucoma 2.0, Part 2. Is there a way that we could treat the susceptibility upstream such that you know you could raise the pressure as high as you like and those ganglion cells will just be as happy as clams first this this year's ascrs annual symposium was great i learned a lot that i'm applying to my practice right now if i have any complaint it's that i couldn't get to all the sessions i wanted to because some of them overlapped that's why i'm so excited about the new ascrs media center More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. This is part two of my interview with Jeffrey Goldberg on Glaucoma 2.0. We pick up where we left off last time. I'm very interested in retrograde axoplasmic flow, particularly as it relates to the pressure head across the lamina. Can can I get you to explain how defective axon transport can result from elevated intraocular pressure and, and can produce retinal ganglion cell death? Yeah, this is another really important um, hy- hypothesis for how intraocular pressure may lead to ganglion cell death. And you could think at a fairly simple mechanical level that if you simply raise the pressure in the eye, you could physically compress either the axons themselves or the cells around the axons uh, and then lead to some molecular signaling perhaps that then shuts down axoplasmic flow. It's it's much more likely to be some component of molecular signaling happening rather than the physical compression because the truth is is that you don't get that much physical compression through the changes in pressure that we see in perhaps all but the most acute severe angle closure glaucomas, for example. Now, in terms of the axoplasmic flow, that refers to the uh, transport that goes actually not just retrograde from the brain back to the retina, but also anterograde from the retina up to the brain. There's a lot of transport of organelles that are important, like mitochondria inside the cells, uh, building blocks that are important for the cells on either end, as well as signaling molecules. For example, the axon tips in the brain are getting signals from their target cells in the brain, and they're transporting those in little vesicles up and down the axon for example, back to the eye, and the eye receives similar signals and transports them down to the axon back to the brain. And it's certainly very likely that a lot of that transport of signaling is critical to retinal ganglion cell survival, as well as the other functions of the cells. And so shutting down retrograde axoplasmic flow will lead to cell death and, of course, acutely leads to cellular dysfunction, axon dysfunction, optic nerve dysfunction. So 
uh, how pressure leads to this defective axon transport is still a great question, but there's a lot of reason to think that that defective axon transport is itself a major issue, a major pathophysiology in glaucoma. Drugs designed to influence some of the factors that you've mentioned without altering intraocular pressure are known as neuroprotective agents. Can you tell me about neuroprotective pharmaceuticals and glaucoma? Absolutely. Now, this gets back to some of your earlier questions, which is, what are the pressure-independent components of glaucoma? We know that there are certain susceptibilities in retinal ganglion cells and their axons through the optic nerve and perhaps with the glial cells in the optic nerve. Is there a way that we could treat the susceptibility upstream such that, you know, you could raise the pressure as high as you like and those ganglion cells will just be as happy as clams. They're no longer susceptible to higher pressures. Or downstream of the intraocular pressure insult, whatever it may be, if there is a final common pathway that makes retinal ganglion cells dysfunctional and then ultimately dead, is there a treatment we could give that blocks that downstream signaling so that, again, the pressure is not as harmful as the ganglion cells and they can stay alive? And that's what we're talking about with neuroprotective agents. There are a number of great candidates that have slowed down the cell death that we see in animal models of optic nerve injury, including animal models of glaucoma. And some of them are um, survival factors that directly signal the cells. Some of them are agents that can affect the mitochondria. Some of them are agents that may block some of this excitotoxicity that we talked about before. Uh, we don't yet have agents that very specifically act at the level of promoting axon transport again, but I imagine that those will come too. As I said, many of these have been tested in animal models, and now we're just getting to the exciting phases of starting to test these agents in patients with glaucoma to see if it's really going to affect the human disease. It's an exciting time because of that. I've always told my patients that any um, glaucoma damage is, is permanent, but you described the possibility of optic nerve axon regeneration. Can I get you to flesh that out a little bit for me? Absolutely. I think there's I think there's two ways we might undo the irreversibility of vision loss in glaucoma. The first would be to address this population of retinal ganglion cells and their axons that are dysfunctional but not yet dead. Now, in human patients, we don't know how much of the disease is due to this sort of dysfunction but not death. We know that there's at least some component of it. If we could look at factors that enhance the function of the living but dysfunctional ganglion cells, we may be able to get some of the vision loss back. We may be able to reverse that. The best analogy that I know of comes from the Alzheimer's disease literature, where, again, you have a sort of slow declining neurodegenerative disease, um, and the current approved treatments for Alzheimer's disease 
may not necessarily slow that decline, but they make the cells in the brain function better. And so they actually acutely enhance function, uh, memory functions, etc., in those patients. The same principle might be applicable to glaucoma if we could acutely enhance retinal ganglion cell function, kind of give, give the retinal ganglion cells a booster shot, as it were. One of the ways that we might do that might be to give some of these neurotrophic factors that uh, you elicited earlier in our discussion. Um, there are a number of neurotrophic factors that would be great candidates for this. They have acronyms like BDNF and CNTF and GDNF. They usually end with neurotrophic factor. That's the NF at the end. One of them, ciliary neurotrophic factor, has actually finally made it into clinical trials um, a company in Rhode Island called Neurotech, which I have no uh, financial interest in, uh, Neurotech designed a device that can go inside the eye. The device is filled with cells, not stem cells, but little cells that secrete CNTF into the eye and basically continue to produce the CNTF. Those devices are now in phase one trials for glaucoma and for another retinal ganglion cell disease, ischemic optic neuropathy. The company had also previously tested these for photoreceptor degenerations like macular degeneration and retinitis pigmentosa. So it's still early days to say whether it's going to actually prove helpful, but the hope is that either this or other candidate factors may, may prove neuroenhancing. Um, the other way that we may undo the irreversibility of glaucoma damage would be to figure out how to replace the totally dead lost retinal ganglion cells uh, or the totally severed axons that are no longer connecting to the brain. For the latter, to get the axons to reconnect to the brain, that does not normally happen in adult mammals, including humans. But again, there are a lot of treatments in animal models of optic nerve injury that are now enhancing retinal ganglion cell regeneration, getting their axons to grow all the way back to the brain and, in fact, remake connections with their targets in the brain such that vision is now being restored in some of these animal models of optic nerve injury. Measurable vision. And, you know, we can't get animals to read the eye chart, but we can at least know that they've gone from totally blind to being able to see something again. So there's some hope that through axon regeneration, optic nerve regeneration, we may get uh, some recovered vision. And then the third way would be if the retinal ganglion cells are really gone, could we replace those missing retinal ganglion cells with stem cell therapies? And that's a tall order because we've got to not only get the stem cells to wire into the local retinal circuits, but we've got to get them them, themselves to grow through the optic nerve and find the right targets in the brain. So I think that that's about to come into some exciting um, translation towards human use, but it's still early days on the stem cell therapies. There's a word that used in, in the answer to your, your prior question that, that was also new to me uh, that, that I learned from, from your paper, uh, which is the word neuroenhancement. What, what does that mean? 
Yeah, again, that's um, really a term that um, we've taken from the Alzheimer's literature. That's where I was exposed to it. <laughs> and the idea is that you have neurons that are not functioning at full capacity. They're alive. They're connected to where they're supposed to connect to but they're just not firing on all cylinders. And the idea is that if we could enhance their function, again, give them like a booster shot, if you will, maybe we could uh, acutely boost their function and get them to um, serve more, get them to do more, uh, do more of what they normally need to do and thereby give these patients more vision again. Now, we can separate neuroenhancement from neuroprotection because it's possible that we could find a treatment that enhances function and boosts vision acutely, but the neurons still die along the slow time course that is typical of glaucoma. And so that would be an example of a treatment that's neuroenhancing but not neuroprotective. There could be other treatments that are neuroprotective and they actually halt the progression of the disease, but they don't make anything better. They're not neuroenhancing. Of course, the dream would be to find, find a, a treatment that's neuroenhancing and neuroprotective. And, and some of the ones we've talked about may prove to serve both functions. Why is FDA approval of a neuroprotective agent for glaucoma a more daunting process than for a medication that simply lowers intraocular pressure? Yeah, that proves to be one of the critical problems with translating all the work being done in animals into treatments for humans. And the reason it's so daunting is that we know from large randomized clinical trials that if you lower pressure you'll prevent progression in a population of patients with glaucoma. So the FDA has now said, fine, if you can show us a drug that lowers pressure, we'll be happy to approve that on that basis. And you can show that a drug lowers intraocular pressure with a trial that might take on the scale of weeks to months, let's say. You still have to show that it's not toxic, etc., but, but you can show that it lowers pressure in the scale of months. That's not true for a slow disease like glaucoma when it comes to neuroprotective agents. It could take, on the scale of years, to show that an agent is neuroprotective, to show that it's preventing visual field loss independent of whatever the patient's pressure might be. Now, trial design is going to hopefully help us shorten that from requiring perhaps a five to 10 year exceedingly expensive trial to maybe something, a trial that could be performed on the exact right subset of patients with the exact right statistical components. Maybe that could be done in a year or less than two years, but that's still a considerably more expensive trial for the NIH or a company to take on compared to a very short intraocular pressure trial. And, and that increased time and increased expense is certainly currently inhibiting and likely going forward to continue to inhibit translating some of these potential neuroprotective therapies from the laboratories into patients. In the context of your own practice, do, do you use any medications 
for glaucoma that are not medications specifically designed to lower intraocular pressure? You know, I think there are some uh, plausible approaches that could be tried in that. And I do not currently use any non-intraocular pressure agents, but there are some that have been tested. I don't feel that the level of evidence, the uh, ability to get sort of repeated data sets from more than one population has yet strongly enough supported using some of these potential agents um, more broadly in patients. I I will occasionally recommend uh, some alternative therapies to that subset of patients whose pressure is as low as it can go, um, but they're still having uh, progression, progressive glaucoma damage. Um, But I have to say uh, the weight of the evidence, I think, for these is not quite strong enough to really support any sort of widespread adoption yet. Thank you so much. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. Jeffrey Goldberg is Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Walter G. Ross Distinguished Chair in Ophthalmic Research at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute and Interdisciplinary Stem Cell Institute in Miami, Florida. His paper, Glaucoma 2.0, Neuroprotection, Neuroregeneration, Neuroenhancement, appears in the May 2012 issue of Ophthalmology. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting, anytime you want, and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, Join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or better yet, Join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Goldberg or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production 
of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.